When it comes to judgment, I believe that there are two sides. Sometimes we are the judge, the ones that are hurt by the scrutiny of other people. But other times, and maybe most of the time, we are the judges, drawing conclusions about others when we don't have all the details. If we're being real, that kind of judgment usually comes from a place of shame. To protect ourselves from feeling the shame we are carrying around, we judge others as a self-defense mechanism. I lead a small group of junior girls. They are constantly dealing with judgment. Each week, I find myself telling them, hurt people hurt people. They are probably tired of hearing me say that, but it's the reality that we live in. There is a lot of hurt in our world, and that means there is a lot of judgment. Well, I really appreciate Tanya opening up that topic that we have this weekend. It's always a difficult one when you talk about uh, the idea of judging. And I have found out that that is really one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. The interesting thing is John 3.16 is the most quoted by believers, but Matthew 7.1 by unbelievers. Get off my back. Who are you to judge me? So it's amazing how we do that. And I thought to, to get into the whole idea of quoting things, we'd have a little fun and just kind to warm everybody up, so I got to check your pulse. Everybody doing okay this morning? Everybody uh, fair to partly cloudy, it looks like. Okay, this is going to be tough. Here we go. Uh, t- you fill in the, uh, the gap for me, or fill in the kind of the blank of this movie quote, because you probably will know these. I just want to let you know that we, we learn a lot, we pick up a lot, we carry a lot with us. Uh, from the movie, Jerry Maguire, you had me at Oh, good, good. Uh, Okay, from the movie King Kong, it was the beauty that killed uh, three people last night, too. You were back again here that knew that. Uh, uh, Karate Kid. Oh, you didn't even need a word on that. That was great. At least the first three Rocky movies, yo. I was hoping nobody would say yo mama. Here we go. Next one is Robin Williams. Good morning. Scarlett O'Hara, after she had just been told at the end of the movie that he really doesn't care that much anymore, that's as close we'll get to that quote, all right, her quote was, after all, tomorrow is, I knew it would be very petite, soft ladies on that one another day, that's right, Uh, the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to that man behind the Forrest Gump, mama says, stupid is as stupid does, Clint Eastwood, go ahead and... And my favorite quote, I think, of many of the movies is from Cool Hand Luke. This will take you back, all right? 1967, Paul Newman, uh, George Kennedy, and the quote of the whole movie is, what we have here, you didn't even need to have any finish on that. Good job, good job. See, we remember a lot of quotes. And if we're believers, we hold on to some of those quotes of the idea that God loves us. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but they'll have eternal life, everlasting life. But if you got a problem with the church and you think it's a bunch of hypocrites, hypocrites, the quote you will pretty much have is this one that we look at today. And in Matthew 7, let's read just the first phrase that most everybody would know. Let's say it together as it appears on, on the screen, and that is, Do not judge others. One more time. Do not judge others. Now, last weekend, Nathan preached about don't worry. And worry is a big deal for most of us because there's so much going on in our world. 
But when it comes to this idea of judging, I want you to know this is, this is going to be one of those messages that you'll think, wow, we're covering a lot of ground, a lot of scriptures. Many will be on the screen. Some won't. But it's because we get bullied many times as believers that we should never say anything about anybody at any time, lest we be judgmental. And I know a lot of believers that are judgmental, and we don't need to do that. But God has called us to stand for his word, amen? And, and he, we need to do that with the right heart and the right mind. And sometimes, sometimes we have to honestly look and say, none of us like to be judged, and we don't like it when the judgmental part in us comes out. But in all honesty, all of us kind of do it in some way or another. I remember the first time, and this is nothing compared to the way other people have been judged, but I, I remember the first time I think I felt that little bit of, hey, somebody's looking down at me. Uh, and, and it was uh, uh, after my freshman year in Bible college, uh, our, our coach played ball. He had to keep your hair not real short, but kind of short. So that means at the end of February till middle October, when practice kicks in, you can grow hair. And I did the best I could uh, coming from a little overprotected family. All right, here we go now. For those of you who this is not an issue, can anybody remember back to about the early 70s, okay, in the life of the church? The same three people. Good. I'm glad you're back here tonight. There's a few of us. There's a few of us. And I, I remember a little bit of that. It was very tense on whether we look like, you know, our culture. And I heard, I even heard a sermon on the evils of bell-bottom blue jeans, all right? Now, there probably is a good case for some of that, all right, the way they look fashion-wise, but it was you don't identify with the culture too much and all these external kinds of things. And I remember going to a, a, a gathering this summer, all ages of people, a great time, great worship, great fellowship, great teaching, uh, uh, really good stuff. And I remember seeing a preacher there that was a preacher at our home church years ago, 10 years before that. And any time I'd seen before, it was, hey, great to see you. And he looked at me, my hair is pretty long at that point, and I could tell he wasn't glad to see me. He thought, oh, no, I have defected. And I've, I've kind of gone the way of the world and all that in that judgmental kind of a thing. All I could remember was in 1971, uh, that song of, uh, <laughs> and the sign said, long-haired, freaky people, need not apply. So I tucked up my hair under my hat and I went in to ask him why. He said, you look like a fine, outstanding young man. I guess you'll do. So I took off my hat and said, imagine that, me working for you. Some of you remember that. Some of you are thinking, I know this. Remind me, what's this about? Okay. And that whole idea of you're judged really quickly on something. Just by the way that you look. All of a sudden, I began to judge him. <laughs> All of a sudden, I said, well, you redneck preacher, you know? <laughs> what is wrong with you? I can't believe, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm playing it pretty straight. I'm not doing anything really wild and crazy. I'm just kind of having a moment of expressing a little bit of Christian liberty, and it's an issue. And it wasn't an issue everywhere, but if you remember the days... When the church struggled with, we want to be not like the world in any way at all, shape, or form, it became very confusing. I, I remember other moments when I was out in Las Vegas, 
Uh, anytime I'd be a bullpen preacher for Gene Apple, I love Gene. He is absolutely awesome. And anytime they would see, okay, we're pulling in the right-hander from the bullpen, and I'm up. I remember a guy right on the front row, he looked, and he looked at me, he said, oh, no, it's you. And he looks down the row, and they all walk out at the same time, you know. And, I, I, and another guy that was up there on the other side, he, he stayed because uh, he just, well, I'll get. He came up to me afterwards, and he said, you know, when I saw Gene wasn't here, I thought, oh, boy boy, I got to listen to this guy, you know. And he said, but I stayed awake for most of the whole thing. And he said, you weren't half bad. I said, thanks. I'll work on the other half, you know. And all of us don't like that when we're kind of criticized or judged or, or, or looked at in that way. Now, let's finish the rest of this passage because here's where Jesus says we've got to live and we've got to understand what the purpose of why would he say this? He says, don't judge others, and then he continues on, and you'll not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. And why worry? Okay, here's where we get down to it. What's this all about? Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Then he starts calling them names hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what's holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. They'll trample pearls, turn and attack you. And some of us are saying, what are we bringing pigs into this for, you know? And it's because he's saying you can continue to do that, continue to do that. But at some point, don't throw precious thoughts to people who don't appreciate that at all. So we got to ask the question today. Because this is very serious by the way we respond. And would you say it's safe to say that in our world with all the issues, particularly the last couple, three years we have, we're in a very judgmental type of world? I I think so. I, I think we really are. And we have to understand we can't allow one little sound bite that Jesus said to go un, un, not unpacked and not understood and think, well, I got to be quiet and I can't say anything about anything. Well, we got to say it with the right heart and the right reason in the right context. The question is, what does it mean to judge? I love what Andy Stanley says. My answer is simply, when you talk about judging, he says, I think it's size them up and write them off. <laughs> that's what we do sometimes when we judge. We just take a look. Oh, that's who they are. That's what they are. That's how I felt back in 73 with a little bit longer hair at the time. And, and that's how many of us might feel when we are judged immediately or prejudged with that prejudicial heart. It means to value somebody less than, less than they really are. Well, does Jesus say that there is a time? Can we understand today through a lot more scripture Help us shape our view of what this spiritual assessment or what some people would call judging is really to be all about. Well, number one, I I think we have to realize we have permission. Permission to understand a deeper view of this. Here's what Jesus said in John 7. In verse 24, he says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Jesus had just been accused of being demon-possessed and crazy, and people are walking away, and they're criticizing him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath day, and he says, you're missing the whole point. you got to look beneath the surface so that you can judge and make an assessment of what's going on and do it correctly. We are to be able to judge without being judgmental. 
to give critique and, and assessment without being overly critical. There's a permission. And there's also a caution. There's a caution as you and I live out our Christian life, not as spectators, but as participants right in the thick of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. Don't do that flippantly. He'll bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. Oh boy, now I'm scared. He's talking about the video we're afraid he's going to show on Judgment Day. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Paul says you've got to have a caution within your heart about this. He says only God can judge the heart because even the person that you're closest to that might be seated right next to you, you know a lot about them, maybe a little bit, maybe a whole lot about them, but I'll guarantee you, you cannot know their total heart. You don't know what they have completely been through, maybe recently, or maybe their family of origin a little bit. We can judge fruit and behavior, but the Bible says we have to be careful. But there is evidence that you and I need to be discerning about this. We need to grow in maturity the way God wants us to grow and not just decide, okay, I better not say anything there or not go on the bandwagon and become very aggressive in an inappropriate way. Here's some scriptures that you need to hold on to and you may want to screenshot this just a little bit if you can. By the way, I forgot to welcome everybody in. I just talked to you just a second ago on the camera. Would you welcome everybody in the centrum and online? I really appreciate that and my deepest of apologies for doing that. I think we have to take a look and understand we've got to have these scriptures in mind. First Thessalonians 5 says we need to test everything. We, we've got to be able to say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? In Acts 20, Paul talks about his moment with the Ephesian elders. And here he is, and I believe that is one of the greatest relationships you, you look and you see that a, a pastor can have. And Paul had with these elders at Ephesus. And they're on the beach and they're crying and they're praying. And he's saying goodbye because he's appealed to Caesar. He's going to an, another jail that he's not going to get out of. They know it. They know they'll never see him again till heaven. And he says, I didn't pull any punches with you guys. I, I made some tough calls and I was very honest, spiritually speaking with you. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, you got to correct, you got to rebuke, and you got to encourage. If you're going to be a pastor, you can't shy away from some of those things. Don't get all high and mighty and condescend. But he says, you've got to come alongside and tell the truth. Now, correction we understand, encouragement we understand, but what in the world is this biblical word rebuke? And please understand, if, if you are encouraged, we're saying you can do it. If you're being exhorted, you're saying you better suck it up and make it happen because this is a challenge, but you can do it. If you're rebuked, a rebuke, biblically speaking, is saying, I've told you, I've warned you, we can't revisit this. I'm going to tell you one last time, and I know you're not going to do anything about it. That's what a rebuke is. It's kind of calls to the moment that says, I don't expect a change in behavior. And God says that's to be used only in certain situations to help somebody come to repentance. Matthew 18 talks about church discipline. 
how we're to talk privately if we got a problem with somebody. Or maybe a couple of folks in our small group, if they say, nah, 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 you're all wrong. Okay, and then uh, the, the back in the day, in the biblical times, the church was kind of, the whole church or the house church, whatever it was, they said they, they've got to be able to, we have to help somebody grow and not head down a wrong path. You see, in 1 Corinthians 5, they had to expel an extremely immoral person to a guy who was living with his stepmom. Now, it wasn't being the sin police, and we're going to watch and see, what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? No, it was something that was blatant and had to be confronted and removed. Paul says in Ephesians 4, we are to speak the truth in love. See, there's a lot of evidence that you and I need to sometimes get our hands kind of dirty, and it is messy, and it is hard, and it doesn't have to be overly, it doesn't, nobody has to get really mad or anything, but we have to get honest and we have to be supportive, and we have to be understanding, and we have to have the heart of Jesus. And we can't just say, somebody says, don't judge without unpacking what the judgment is all about. Even the big dogs in Scripture, in Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila, they correct Apollos a little bit on the side. He didn't understand baptism. Well, what do you mean this Holy Spirit thing? I thought it was just about John and repentance. Oh, no. And they just took him aside privately and told him a little bit more. He comes back and people are coming to faith left and right because he just needed a little theological tweak. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul has to do something that's really hard. He has to pull Peter aside and say, Peter, I've noticed what you're doing here. You hang with the Jewish people and they're not going to have any uh, ham sandwiches and you're hanging with them and you act like them. You go to the Gentiles and you're at a pork barbecue having a big time. And and then you come back. He said, that's not a problem because we're all saved by grace. But Paul says, Peter, when When we all get together, the Gentiles come to dinner, you act like the Jews, like you're not that guy. You can't do that, Peter. You see, even in the moment when we see inconsistencies in the way we might treat one another, we have to be careful. We have to realize that God allows that and he wants it. He wants it to be in the right way, in the right time, for the right purpose. I, I love Revelation. I don't understand all the stuff in the middle, but I love Revelation 1, 2, and 3, 21, and 22. Everything else, I need a little help unpacking all that kind of stuff. I love to see how that all ends and and, and, and the the new heaven and the new earth coming down and like a bride beautifully or or, or, uh, adorned for her husband. It's going to be an incredible time. Tears wiped away. No more death, no more pain. And I even love the first part, even though Revelation 2 and 3 on the the judgment of the churches and the evaluation. I love that, even though it's a little scary at times. But you see, that's good evaluation. The church at Ephesus had lost their first love. Oh, they argued doctrine. They did this. They had a lot of serve days. They did all sorts of stuff. But they had lost, lost this intimacy and this closeness with Jesus And he says, I just wish you'd come back to that. You see, there are things we all need to hear from time to time. Jesus corrected and he judged people and groups. And Matthew, I went through this week just to take a look. I found over 30 times that he has a moment of gently. Oh, sometimes with the Pharisees, he'd have to get after them. But he wasn't judgmental. But he did make a spiritual assessment of truth. 
Now, if you look at a different translation, I was coming out of the New Living Translation. If you look at the message by Eugene Peterson, which is a paraphrase, in the first part of Matthew 7, you'd see what he says. He said, don't pick on people. (laughs) Jump on their failures or criticize their faults. When Jesus said, don't judge others, he says, here's kind of what that means. There's a new translation, or paraphrase it's out, called the Passion Translation. You'll see kind of abbreviated TPT if you have, a, have it on your, on your phone, that, uh, that app. And, and what that uh, translation says is refuse to be critical, full of bias toward others. R- refuse to do that. And that means that for us, Jesus warns about judgment. He warns about it and he says, you've got to be careful with this thing. You can't ignore it and you can't just say, okay, see you in heaven, maybe. Good luck. And you you can't be tearing each other up and making flippant decisions and comments. But he says, sometimes it appears that we should not judge superficially or hypocritically or in a harsh manner, in a self-righteous manner, in an untrue way or in an unforgiving way. So let me give three quick points on what I think this passage is simply saying. I think it's simply this. Don't judge superficially because the same standard will be used for you and me. I I don't want somebody just taking a look at me and making an assessment. (laughs) I get enough of that if I don't pay the $25 extra on Southwest Airlines and I'm in the C row and I'm stuck in a middle seat. They do not like to see me coming for a middle seat, okay? They just kind of, oh, put your head down really quick, okay? And I'll say, I'm sorry, here I am, your new best friend, you know, that kind of thing. None of us us want that real quick kind of judgment that's superficial. I I had a chance to talk with a guy named Mark Middleberg, great guy, great author, has a book called Contagious Christianity. And he was interviewing some of us that are in a fellowship of churches over over 5,000 Christian churches. And he was doing a project and... and, uh, he said, I'm sorry, i got to ask. He says, I've never talked with you. I said, well, I'm kind of under the, the radar, all right? I, I, don't, I know the big dogs. I don't travel with them too much. He said, yeah, I know the other guys. He said, man, I love the guys in your brotherhood. He said, I know Dave Stone. He's awesome. I said, he is. I've known him since 1980. He is a great, great guy. He said, I know Gene Apple. I said, I work for Gene Apple out in Las Vegas. He said, I know Cal Jernigan out in Phoenix and, and Cam Oxford. He mentions all these guys in other Christian churches that we, we hang out with. He says, what is it with you guys? And, and I, you know, because we've all, we've been blessed very much. And I said, all I know, Mark, is we are for each other. Every guy you mentioned, and I can give you a dozen more, we don't wonder if you're doing something that's really good, I better catch up with you. No, we got each other's number and we could say, hey man, I'm really struggling over here with this. Nathan does the same thing. He's hooked up in that way to say, how can we help? But boy, I need some help over here. We're for one another. When you begin to be for one another, then you don't judge superficially. We have to understand that if we do, it's gonna come back at us. I love the thief on the cross moment in history. Jesus didn't judge them. They judged themselves. The one who was griping kept on griping, had no faith in him at all. But the one who heard the other griping, he said, would you knock it off? This guy in the middle didn't do anything wrong. We get what, we're getting what we deserve. 
And you remember what he said to Jesus? He, he crosses that line of faith that we hope and pray everybody that we have an opportunity to talk with does. And he just says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? Remember what Jesus said? Today. Today. You'll be with me in paradise. See, he, he looked at Jesus and he realized who he was. The other guy wouldn't look at him. We get a chance to help people look at Jesus before They'll be judged by the Lord one day. Now, the second point, I think, is it gets a little deeper. How dare we pose and condescend while we ourselves are a hot mess? How dare you and I say, you know what? Here's what I kind of see with you. Oh, you may think it's kind of trivial, but it's just not a blessing to me. who, Who does that kind of stuff? And Jesus is saying, you got to be careful to look and understand. And he goes and he begins to teach deeper about this speck in the eye and the plank in your own. You remember the movie Wild Hogs? Who was in that? Martin Lawrence, Travolta, Tim Allen, uh, William J. Macy. And they're all bikers, but they're not bikers. They're posers. They they even call themselves that. They say, listen, we, we rented all this stuff, you know. We're not really those guys. We just want to be those guys on a weekend away and have a good time. And they got in all sorts of trouble. Jesus says, please, don't be a poser. Don't manage your image on Facebook. Be who you are when you're talking about somebody straight up or when you're maybe kind of letting them know something else that's going on in your life. And he says, don't be in denial of the plank you have in your own eye. And that's why the Bible says in James 5, to confess your sins one to another. It's mutual. Here's where I'm struggling. Well, here's where I'm struggling. He says, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another. Anybody know how that ends? So that you might be healed, so that we can heal up from all this hurt, from all the woundedness of our past, because God does that when we come together in his name. And if we, if we say, I, I don't want to do that, I'll just kind of take my chances and hope to make it to heaven, well, of course we will by God's grace through our faith. That's what it's all based on. It's not based on you being good, me being good, somebody being good for you, except what Jesus did for all of us. But will we mature? Will we grow? Will we deepen? Will we pass a deeper faith on to our kids and their kids? Will we help one another raise the kids around us and the family and the friends all around us? The third point is simply this. He says, get well first. And then then you can help some other people. We all are going to need some help with some specks and some logs. I'm here today because I have a very loving wife, a very tolerant wife, who's a much better person than me. I'm here today because of a flat tire my mom and dad had on a Sunday night when they blew off church service. And mom said, after that, it's a sign from God, you know? And they never missed Sunday night after that, and neither did I get to either. I missed all of Disney. I missed all of that stuff, you know? I'm here today because I got a friend in college. His name's John Walker. And he was what I would call a what-the-heck friend. Not, ah, do whatever you want. Ah, what the heck? No. He was a friend who would look me in the eye and say, what the heck do you think you're doing? All of us need a friend. 
who will look into our heart and see the depth of ache in our soul. And we got to get well first. The Bible clarifies in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, it's not my response to judge outsiders, but certainly it's your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning in a sin pattern. God will judge those on the outside, but as Scripture says, you got to remove the evil person from among you. And he doesn't mean the person who's struggling a little bit. He means the militant, defiant, leave me alone, thumb in their nose, flipping God off. That type of attitude is what has to be dealt with within the church, the glaring evil. I love what Henry Cloud says in further clarification. He has a book called Necessary Endings. And, and he says there's three kinds of people. There's the wise, the foolish, and the evil. <laughs> he said the wise you want to learn from, encourage, and be blessed by. The foolish, well, it'll be us once in a while. He said so we want people to be patient with us. And we want help and we want to be able to give help after we learn that. He said, but man, there's the other type and they're just plain mean. And he said you got to be careful. And you have to make a judgment on bad influences. Why? Because God wants to conform us to the image of his son. He wants me to be more like him tomorrow than I was yesterday. And he wants us to go after the people who need to be restored. The, the Galatians 6.1, if you see a brother overtaken in a fall, go after him and try to restore him. Help them come back to him. One of the greatest illustrations in, in the Bible of what does that look like? What does that look like to have an honest talk that you don't know how it's going to go? And I go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12 when the prophet Nathan, who was like the spiritual advisor to the king, to David. And if you know David's life at that point, he'd done really good up until about a chapter before that. And then he didn't go out to battle. He just kind of stayed home when the time was for kings to go. And he, and he, he shouldn't have done that, but he did. And he stayed home, goes up on the roof, and he sees the, the neighbor lady. And lust is in his heart. They have sex. She gets pregnant. He tries to hide it all by bringing her husband home from the military. Gets him drunk. And the sad commentary of that pre-story before this parable that Nathan tells King David is that Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was a more godly person in that moment drunk than David was sober. And he has him killed. And he doesn't say anything to God about it. He didn't say, whoops. He didn't say, ah. He just kind of leaves God alone. At the end of the chapter, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So God doesn't leave him alone. God goes after him. And he sends a prophet, Nathan, and if you know that story, Nathan comes to him. He said, oh, king. Could you pass judgment on this little hypothetical? Sure, appeals to his ego. And he said, there's a, a real poor fella. He's only got one pet lamb. His neighbor has flocks and herds and all sorts of stuff. And the, the, the rich neighbor, when he has company come, rather than take from his flocks to feed his company, he steals the one little pet ewe lamb that his kids have named and play with in the house. And he kills that little pet lamb. And then he offers that little lamb for the feast for his company coming. Tell me, O king, what should happen to that rich man? And David says, that guy deserves to die. And you know what? Long before the phrase, you to man, <laughs> Nathan turns the table and says, you are that man. 
he would not have spoken spiritual judgment into David's life? David has a mess of a life after that. The consequences come. But before the consequences come, there's conviction and there's confession. Now think with me back to David's psalm, the one that I remember that I've through the years realized I think this is his prayer. Psalm 23 is his declaration of who the Lord is. He is my shepherd. I will fear no evil, although I walk through the valley. I mean, all that he declares who God is. But in, in Psalm 27, it won't appear. Let me read it for you. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek most to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to delight in the Lord's presence and meditate on his temple. For he'll conceal me there when troubles come. He'll hide me in his sanctuary. He'll place me out of reach on the highest rock. The problem is David didn't want that. He turned his back. And God sent the prophet Nathan after him. Sometimes we have to be willing to be sent. Now, in our communion time as we close today, and you can, if you're with us online, you can go ahead and, and prepare for that. Get ready. I want to ask you to think with me because 1 Corinthians 11 says, when we partake and we allow the bread to represent Jesus' body and the juice to represent his blood, when we have this moment, 1 Corinthians 11 says, we need to examine our heart and take a look at ourselves. That's why we call it communion or a meditative kind of time of the Lord's Supper. But in doing that, I, I want to do it in a unique way. Andy Stanley, uh, I mentioned, had a great phrase early. He also, in one of the messages I've heard him speak on judging, he, he said something this way that I really thought is important for us to look at. He says we really wind up in kind of three different piles. He said, number one is we're the people that size them up and write them off. And he said, if you're that person that's very judgmental, he says, you need to understand that your problem is you are self righteous. Now, without a raise of hands, <laughs> take a moment and try to identify with where you are before we partake today. Where is your heart? Is that maybe a struggle to say, you know what, I've just had it with them. And I get, I short fuse, I've, I, I know what's going to happen. I can see what's coming. Well, if you lean towards self-righteousness, self you might need to repent. Now, the second group here today, we, we may size people up, but we don't write them off. We put them on the prayer list. Oh, isn't it too bad about them? Isn't that, oh, that's just a shame. Well, I know there's probably something else going on, but I won't go talk to them about it, you know. We just kind of put them over there. He says, if that's the case for you, you may not pass harsh judgment, but you might avoid where you could be used to help, where, where God could use you to gently come alongside, making sure the plank's out of your eye, and help them with whatever speck it might be. He said group number one needs to repent. Group number two needs to confront. And you may have to ramp up to do that, build the relationship. If you're involved in small group life, you know it's a great great moment of closeness, but there are moments that sometimes you have to say, I think you're struggling over here if we don't admit that. He said, there's a third group, and he says, they're the ones who've been sized up. Oh, you felt the sting of judgmental hearts from other people. 
And he said, you've been confronted, but you haven't responded real well. You're, you're resistant and you're bitter. He said, group number one needs to repent if you've been judgmental. Group number two needs to not avoid, but gently confront if your heart's right. But group number three just needs to listen. It's amazing the, the group that Jesus had when they shared together on the Last Supper. When he said, somebody's going to betray me, they all wondered who in the world it was. Judas, he just met eye to eye with Jesus, and Jesus says, go ahead. Go do what you got to do quickly. His heart was already far away from God. This moment is so that our hearts might come back to him. And I want to ask you to pray with me before we partake, that we could examine our hearts right in this way. Let's bow. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you that you allowed your son to, rather than judge the world, you didn't send him to judge us. You sent him to save us. And I thank you for my friends as we gather around right now, whether we're on campus or online, or whether even someone's watching this later on in the week. God, thank you for believers and those who would be seeking to, to understand your truth. And I thank you now because you thought we were worth coming after. That you chose to rescue before one day you'll have to judge. May we examine our hearts and allow you to speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together now.